Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts David and Nick. This week, we brace ourselves for the attack of Mr. Bloom. Meet an American alien. Break the fourth wall with Deadpool and more. So let's just go ahead and get your shame out of the way. Wait, what shame? How behind on Flash and Arrow are you? Okay, so I'm, I guess, two episodes behind on Arrow now? Uh, three, after tonight. Oh, wait, no, because it's tonight, because I watched two weeks ago. Okay. I haven't seen this, I haven't seen tonight's, I didn't see last week's, but I watched the one that was kind of like an Ollie Lance uh, and uh, Captain Lance episode. Ah, oh, that episode was so good. Watch, changing theory, spoilers for those that watched the season opener, I think Lance is the one that died. It's going to be in the grave. That's, that's a pretty common theory. I think so. I think, but, I mean, it's like, I, like obviously they want you to think it's Felicity. Like they, yeah, it's not going to be Felicity. They wanted to, like, because they, they, there was that transition where they showed Felicity and then they showed the, the, the tomb. I think that was intentional. And then, but then they've, like, really been building up the, the John Diggle stuff, like Ollie's dynamic, like they've been kind of showing Ollie's relate like dynamic with Diggle, like kind of re-examining it and re-examining his relationship with Lance and Ollie trying to kind of show, like tell, like explain to Lance that like Lance is kind of like the beacon, his bat signal, if you will, that kind of makes him try to stay on the straight and narrow. That if he can be half the man he sees Lance as, then he's doing something right. And I think that's going to continue to build, especially now that Lance is kind of in a compromising situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it depend, I mean, it depends on how deep they want to go. I could see them both kind of like going into the fire together, but Lance doesn't make it out. Like, how great was that scene when like Ollie goes to confront him about it? Like, that was just such good acting on Stephen Amell's part. When he's like, you know, don't hide behind your daughters. They'd be ashamed of you right now. I got like goosebumps. And then Lance, the way Lance just like came on him, you know. Yeah, it was just it was bravo to uh, Stephen Amell and Paul um, Blackthorne. What was I? What was I gonna say? And uh, it, and I think about it, and I was like, if it was Felicity, like the reason it's either Diggle or Lance, because if Barry was there at the funeral, like yeah, like he would have been like you know hand on shoulder, like like you know I'll leave you alone, man, but like. Barry cares about Felicity too. Like they kind of have a connection, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel like if if Felicity was killed, like Barry would be like right there, like dude, I'm not leaving your side. We're gonna freaking kill. Well, Dave. not like kill because Barry would like isn't really like that. But you know, like he would like be all up. Even like, though even though Barry has killed two people this season, I don't know. Spoilers, dude. The first two episodes, he like they kill Adam Smasher. And then the guy who, like, turns into sand, he, like, turns him into glass, and he, the guy, like, obliterates. Well, now he's going to be, like, a pretty mosaic. Um... <laughs> uh, in, uh, <laughs> okay, so, like, I'm totally with you, but you haven't seen last night's episode of The Flash, where Zoom is, like, properly introduced. Oh, yeah. And, like, that is totally worth Barry missing whatever's happening to deal with Zoom, because, holy crap, that guy. That guy? That guy? That guy. Um... 
So I just feel like either they underplayed Barry's role, if it is Felicity, I just feel like there would be more more emotion coming from Barry than there was in the scene. Yeah. Um, so, but I and I feel like sure Barry likes Diggle, and I don't really know how much interactions he's had with Captain Lance, minimal at least, you know. But obviously he'd be there for for Ollie if Ollie was grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I definitely think it's Diggle or Lance. Uh, and now but, I'm kind of leaning towards Lance because out of all of them, if they're trying to keep Team Arrow together, Lance becomes the most expendable. And they like to kill off parents on that show. It's so, true. It's so true. Oh, and you haven't. You don't know who Earth Two Arrow is. Yes, I know. I spoiled it for myself. Oh man, it was so great. Is they, it the same actor? Well, they don't. They don't ever show him. They just mention who it is. Uh, spoiler alert for the people out there, because it's it's a it's a passing comment, but Earth Two Arrow is Robert Queen, uh, Ollie's father, uh, who apparently survived instead of Oliver. And which, survived on an island. And... Yeah, for five years, uh, which means that they just straight up were like, "Yeah, Green Arrow is the Batman of the shared TV universe." Yeah, I read that they're 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 kind of playing off. Um, Jeff Johns Flashpoint mm-hmm. kind of reversal of uh, Batman. I hope that it, cool. I hope that it comes up at some point where the character actually appears. I mean, I feel like if they're setting that up, they also well, okay, I'm just gonna tell you they also. Oh my gosh, they could totally do like Oliver having like a reunion with his father kind of way. Uh oh yeah, that'd be super interesting. They also had a reference to Aquaman in a previous episode. Did they? Mm-hmm. Legit. Yeah, Jay Garrick mentions that there's an Atlantis on his Earth. He's like, one of my best friends lives there. Ooh, Ooh. dude. I like. I need to get sleep after this, but I also like kind of want to watch these episodes. Last week's episode of The Flash was legitimately one of the best episodes they've done. Yeah. Like in between Arrow and Flash altogether. Like I, I would venture to say. Oh Mostly because gosh. Earth Two Harrison Wells is best Harrison Wells. Even better than Earth One Harrison Wells? Because wasn't really Harrison Wells. Because You're just a dick. Like he <laughs> is just such a dick and it just it works so well in this and it where like everyone kinda hates him, but he's right about everything. It's like it's so... they hate him because of because they hate a different Harrison Wells, and they're projecting that onto him. And he doesn't exactly help. Well, that, no, that he thing. does. He does. Well, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't help their view of him. Yeah. Which he like he doesn't even care is part of the great thing. He's like he doesn't even give a shit at how they view him because he's like I'm just here to like help you stop Zoom. If you want to hate me, that's fine. And what what's really great is that Barry is the one who's advocating for him so much. It's like, like if all the people that should hate him, it should be me. But he's like trying to help. Like I can see the good in people, and I'm like, oh, that's great. Good job, Barry. Well, yeah, well, okay, I'm super excited. I I probably won't get them tonight, um, but I don't think I really have anything planned tomorrow. Better so not. That is going to be my end. and catching up on Supergirl. Oh yeah, I'm really behind pilot, on that. So I, I, I there's only been two episodes. Yeah, I haven't seen anything past the pilot either. Because I have started watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on Monday nights, and it's legitimately funny, and people should check that out. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is the Heckia Comics Podcast. Uh, that's David talking. That's Nick 
interrupting. Boom. Boom. And... Heck yeah! And... To the Batmobile. Let's go. That means we're going to talk about some comics now. Excellent. Lots of comics came out this week. Lots, Lots of, of comics. comics. Absolutely. David, what kind of books did you pick up? Not necessarily, you know, the Negri on each of them, but just go down the list. So I picked up uh, picked up quite a few. A lot of it was a mix of image. It's actually a good a good mix of image DC and Marvel. Uh, this week because all new Hawkeye started, but I still haven't read the last issue of Hawkeye, and I felt like I needed to do that before I read that, so that's off the table for me. Uh, Captain America White Number 4 was also on the list. Haven't finished that yet, but on the image side, I did read Descender Number 7 and Autumnlands Number 7, both of which are coming back off of breaks, uh, which means that the first volumes of those are now out. And the the team had a little bit of time to to rest, recuperate, and prepare for for volume two. Uh, I I won't spoil the sender for you because I know you haven't read it yet. Uh, I will just say that Tim twenty two is a dick. Tim twenty two or Tim twenty one. So Tim twenty one at the end of of issue six, uh, they like Tim twenty two shows up with this group of robots. Interesting and. There's a very stark difference between Tim 21 and Tim 22, mostly in the emotions department. Uh, we gotcha. also, and uh, we also find out what has happened to Andy. Andy was Tim his... Tim 21's brother. I won't I won't tell you much. It becomes pretty obvious pretty quick. Um, they don't they don't tell you till the very end. But it's kind of a recurring thing throughout the issue, so it's yeah. like by the time it gets there, you're not surprised by it. Uh, so I, I won't I won't say too much in that department in, in what's going on. Um, it's it's definitely still hitting. You know, like you're you're, you're definitely still emotionally attached to these characters. There was a reveal at the end of issue number six. I think that's when Quan said that he didn't design the robots. Um, or the Tim 21 series or something like he makes some big uh, revelation it's been like four months uh, and I expected them to kind of pick up on that and have people be like wait let's talk about that real quick uh, but they don't which was a little disappointing um, or was that the end of issue number five and they briefly talk about it in six but I just feel like that's like a, a plot point that is worth a lot more exploration um Oh, see, now I totally think they do talk about it in six a little bit, but I don't think it was it was fully resolved. Uh, anyway, it 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 definitely is this this series is taking a lot of twists and turns where these characters are on an unwitting journey throughout the galaxy, and I don't foresee that ending at any time soon. We're mm -hmm. building up towards some really really cool stuff, uh, which I'm very excited by, and and Dustin Nguyen's art does not fail to still be great and at times horrifying uh really never thought that dustin Nguyen would make me feel like weird and creeped out but here unnerved. we are unnerved yeah, definitely definitely unnerved all in all a, a solid issue a solid opener to act two um keeping on what we knew and introducing new plot points that tie in really well uh over on autumn lands which feels like it's been gone for longer than descender has 
it's weird the 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 image you know their their new their or their their new their their current model of like five to you know like six or so issues on three and months then like off. three or four months off and then back some books i mean yeah even longer i don't you're right i don't know how long auto land's been off the table it's good that there's so many comics coming out on a week-by-week basis so it's like you think it's going to be a long time and then boom it's like oh hey autumn lands is back or saga yeah. or whatever yeah i'm totally gonna check out right now when the last one was because i f- really do feel like it was um quite some time ago so yeah issue number six was in june so july august september october so yeah four four months in between issues five yeah i'm just like just hitting on five there um, this is a series that I was a big fan of, you know, right off the bat, you know, rumble. I was a little lukewarm on the first issue. Now I'm all in on rumble. This was a book that like right off issue number one, I was totally into it and, uh, definitely have been excited week to week or month to month to get it. I'm really excited that it's back. I, I was really sad because for a while there was no news on when the new issue was coming out. It was just like, uh, yeah, issue number six is done and uh, we'll eventually get to the rest of it, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this issue picks up where the people who were in the Sky City crash down on, on Earth. They summoned the great champion who was not at all what they expected him to be. Um, but he has been doing the most to defend them. The the bison people of the plains mounted an attack, and while the champion was defending them, he fell off of this narrow bridge that got blown up by the dick of an owl. He fell into the water below, presumably dead. Rusty, the dog boy, jumped in after him. The dick of an owl. He was such a dick. Uh, Still a dick. That has not changed. But Rusty, the dog boy, jumped in after him to, because, you know, man's best friend and all that jazz. Oh, I totally get it now. What? The the it, whole relationship they're building between Rusty and the champion. That it's his dog? Yeah, just the whole kind of playing off man's best friend. Right. That they're going to become best friends because yeah. one's a man and one's a dog. Uh, And this... Oh, my God. <laughs> this is an issue, you know, where... where they they took a little bit of time now of like all right we've been in this world for a while let's do a little bit of like world building just a little bit of like explanation where it's like you know stuff's definitely coming uh the the champion who i can't remember his name i want to say leonard um and rusty like wash up on shore and there's one of the bisons who's on the opposite shore and he like staggers off and it's like oh should we like run and be afraid it's like no nah, like we can stay here for the night like stuff's definitely coming, but you know the river's so wide or whatever. Like we'll be okay for the night. So they're saying like, all right, we're just gonna step back. We're gonna like calm down for a minute, and and you know talk around a campfire a little bit. And so what that affords us is a kind of an explanation of magic in this world and how it works. Um, there's a really beautiful page where Rusty is explaining how magic works um where it's not just like you know you're calling forth power like magic is is in everything essentially you're not just calling forth power like uh some spells are delicate you don't just shape the hostess or the the hotsis 
uh, sorry, of weather, for instance, right, yeah, some spells are delicate. You don't just shape the hotness of weather, for instance. You tease it, appeal to it, negotiate with it. And some, and some, you need other spells to shape or to invoke the will of the gods. And he goes in like people become masters and masters take old spells and they build off of them. Like magic is very intricate in this world. Uh, but it's very cool. Like they said, like just shaping, there's this potential to really kind of do anything. Um, and for those who have forgotten, the great champion is here to, he apparently unlocked magic at some point in the past. Um, and he's here now to fix magic again. And they're kind of getting on, you know, what did you do to unlock magic in the first place? And he says that he has no idea that he like barely remembers the day he woke up. He was with his uh, platoon in the trenches and then stuff happened that he can't remember. And then now he's here in the future or alternate dimension. It, who knows? Apparently Busiek's been really, uh, um, dodgy on, you know, is this taking place on earth? Is, are these two separate dimensions? Like, you know, what's going on here? They also explain the name mm -hmm. in this issue where before everything was, was like a paradise of things. It was the Summerlands because everything was so beautiful and peaceful, but now because magic is failing, it is becoming the autumn lands and winter is coming because you know game of thrones so hot right now um i really like this issue i like uh when books decide to take some time to explore the characters a little bit to build their worlds a little more thoroughly um it's nice with ongoings and the art in this book i think was even a step above previous issues i just noticed it really in the facial expressions of rusty the dog Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of like close up panels of him and he's got just these really classic dog expressions. Uh, like at one point, um, uh, the champion, I really wish I could remember his name. I really think it's Leonard. Um, he is basically like says something to Rusty that's like very, like, uh, very short and like kind of angry. And Rusty gives him like that look that, you know, when you scold the dog, they have those big eyes looking up at you. And he says, oh, don't make that face at me, kid. I'm immune. Like, it, just these really, really great facial expressions that are very animal, but also very human. Like, I really, I really have to give it to Dewey. Just exceptional blending of, of you know, animal and human emotions where I buy that these are actual beings versus, you know, really awkward, like humans with animal heads. Like it's, it's just such a, a great book on art alone. And I'm really enjoying the story. And I, I feel like I've been talking for a while now. So let's Leroy. It's Leroy. L E A R O Y D Leroy. Great. So not Leonard, uh, go back in, in your Leonard mind. Snart. Go, go back in your minds, and every time I said Leonard, just edit the word Leroy in there. Do it. Do it and, now. And uh, then you'll be good. Also, the cover of this issue is really great. Uh, I, think, I think all the covers have been pretty distinctive. Yeah, I just really like this one. It's really clever. You have 
Rusty and um, Leroy sitting around a campfire and Rusty's telling some story and there's like smoke coming off, but all the white space kind of encroaching around them is like the trees and the leaves. It's very cool. Very mm. cool. So yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I've been reading. I've also been reading uh, some DC stuff, which I think we're going to talk about together. Do you want to jump into that or do you want to talk about, uh, did you get a chance to read The Goddamned? I read The Goddamned. Well, tell us about it. Let's keep on the, Mar- the uh, Marvel, the image train a little here. You sure? Because I can leave it to the end. What? No, 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 let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it now. And then we'll talk about uh, the stuff that we both read. All right. So, The Goddamned. Uh, number one. It's also, it's actually called The Goddamned Before the Flood, issue mm. one. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Um, it reteams Jason Aaron, currently writing like Doctor Strange, uh, Star Wars uh, for Marvel. A little Thor. known book called you know, Star Wars. All, just all awful, just terrible, just no, stuff worst. nobody's reading. Nothing like no one, no one likes Jason Aaron. Go away, Jason Aaron. Um, and R.M. Guerrero. It teams up the abominable team of Scalped, one of the worst comics I've ever read. Uh, I, I think I'm talking like bizarre right now because I've enjoyed just about everything I've read of Jason Aaron and what little of Scalped I've read, I really like. He's got one of those, he's it's one of those things where like a Jason Aaron comic is so like identifiable and yet, I mean, he's dabbled in so many different genres. Like he's definitely kind of a, I don't know if Gonzo's the right word, but he definitely kind of like you know, he's a bit off kilter with his work. He handles gruff. Mm-hmm. He handles dirty. Um, you know, Doctor Strange, you know, you have a certain picture in your mind when you ha- uh, think of Doctor Strange. And he leans into that, but he also, like, you know, goes, I don't really know how to describe it, uh, in just a Jason Aaron kind of way. I'm clearly not a really good <laughs> critic. Um, this so, book is very Jason Aaron. This, this book is neat, neato, neato supremo. Um, the Nido Supremo is that like a step uh, below the Sorcerer Supreme? <laughs> yes, the, the, the Nido Supreme. Um, all right, so uh, for those that don't know, the Goddamned uh, is a story that follows Cain <laughs> of the Bible of the Old Testament. Hmm. Um, basically, he's this immortal. I, I want to use anti-hero in quotations. Uh, basically, uh, since the fall of Eden, since he killed his brother Abel, uh, oh, he's been spoiler cursed. Spoiler alerts, man. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's just been like thousands of years or something. <laughs> uh, don't want to ruin the Bible for anyone. Aww. <laughs> um, so he, So basically, he's been cursed to walk the lands forever and as the title suggests, this is before the flood, so just the earth is just is like not a great place to live. Like mortgage rates are up, um, just like people are. No, uh, okay, sticking, you know, getting on track. Um, so he's kind of he he just kind of wanders around, gets into to scuffles, kills a lot of people, um, and. Uh, you know, kind of just continues on his way. Uh, to give you an idea of like just what this book is like, the first splash page is a one-armed boy uh, peeing 
what ends up being Kane, peeing on what ends okay, up being Okay, I thought you meant like, and this is the story of how Kane was made from the piss of a boy. Like, oh, <laughs> no, no, They no, were no, taking so, a lot of artistic liberties on this story. So so, the, so it opens, like, after Kane has wandered into some village called, like, Shit Pond or something. Ah, um, uh, yes. And he Lovely got attacked by here. these guys called the Bone Boys, and he kind of gets left for dead. And so he open now with, like, this one-armed boy just like peeing and then you like you you zoom in and like it turns out he's peeing on on Kane. The boy freaks out cuz Kane gets up. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to go back and get my stuff. Uh I don't really want to do a play-by-play of the issue. It's if you if you know Arm Guerrera, if you've seen like his scalped work, uh I mean, it's very rough, uh dark, uh blotchy uh, artwork. Um some scenes I guess could be a, like you can basically follow along. Like the art's not hard to read but it's not the clearest artwork and some of the fight scenes um or the fight scene where he's taking out the bone boys um certain panels like as you're trying to like as your eyes are kind of gliding across the page you kind of have to stop because you're not quite sure what he's using as a weapon or where he's putting that weapon Hmm. um where the sun don't shine (laughs) uh, i mean possibly in uh definitely in a couple of those cases um so what the book sets up, and I'm just going to spoil the ending here because you and I are just completely unabashed when it comes to spoilers. That's true. So I'm assuming they're setting him up in a villainous role, but I guess in a book where like no one's really a good person, antagonist is probably a better word. Mm-hmm. So I, the antagonist, for lack of a better word, looks like it's going to be Noah. Hmm. So... Uh, so, so the very last page shows Noah. Um, he's with a more affluent group of, I guess for lack of a better word, barbarians. Um, and he, it says, Noah, lumberjack, trapper, shipbuilder. Sh- sorry, shipbuilder, just not shipbuilder, uh, in case you're confused. Uh, man of God. And they make references to, like, you know, this is a... a faith inclined group I, I i don't really know they're less dirty than everyone else in the book uh if that's oh so they're white no they're <laughs> not actually he i mean i i he struck me as black yeah and, i and you know if we're talking early humans too they're probably a lot more dark skinned obviously um, obviously i could get a lot of shit for that statement it was it was it was just a joke people just a joke <laughs> david how dare you yeah. um so this is definitely a book that I'm sure is going to offend someone. You know, I'm surprised I haven't heard anything about it, like, offending people. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if you, if you know, like, even a little bit of what this book is about, if that's something that, like, if you get offended over Starbucks cups, you're probably going to be offended by this. All right, let's just be straight about something here. Nobody is actually offended by the red cup. Some people are offended. No. Most people no, are not offended. No. The, Some the, people are offended. The media... The, like news outlets were like people are outraged and maybe like a few idiots are like oh yeah i'm gonna be outraged because the media told me to but like n- nobody actually cares oh yeah, yeah yeah no no it's i mean it's totally like a media blow up i mean it's really only it's and it's always it always is a minority that puts too much stock in something um and i just want to emphasize by minority that i mean a minority I mean, of people I mean, that share a common belief we knew what you meant. Okay. 
I just it feels like you and I are tiptoeing right, right now. Right, like after after my horrible, <laughs> after horrifying statement. We're on, on thin ice. Um, but I mean, this this is a book that you know I and, and it's been a long time since I've read this particular section of the Bible. I don't remember it being very meaty as far as details. Well, so, you don't really hear about Cain pretty much after. You don't. Know, I mean, there's out. a lot of like like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. You basically go from like the Garden of Eden to like Cain to like Noah. I mean, it's obviously obviously they're taking a lot of liberties with the material presented. Yeah, and the, and you, I mean, if you like, you know, you follow the story of Noah, and it's like they basically say like, the earth was shit. Like God basically wiped everything away to start anew. You gotta imagine that like it's gotta be pretty bad. So this is a book that really leans into that statement that like the world was awful. God was God was like disappointed, embarrassed, whatever you want to say, and like at some point, presumably in this story, the flood is going to come. Um, but it just kind of zeroes in on sort of the ground view of this whole narrative mm-hmm. and and gives it that Jason Aaron sort of feel. So if you're okay with uh, male nudity, uh, the F word being said a lot, uh, probably wasn't around back then. I mean, I seriously, it probably it, like, was not around back then. As, well, I guess as far as I know. Um, English probably wasn't around back then. But um, no, no, no. English, English, at all. Was, English the, was not around. Back it was then. the original, uh, original language spoken for thousands, millions of years. Pre Babel. Is it Babel or Babel? I'm like, never know. I've always said Tower of Babel. Okay, Babel. I used to Babel. I? No, I don't know. I'm in my head too much about it. I want to say I've always said Babel. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's the nitty gritty, it's the ground view of everything, presumably leading up to the flood. Um, following at least the start, you know, Jason Aaron usually starts with like one character, peppers in a bunch of supporting characters, and we'll probably spend some time fleshing them out. I'm sure we'll get a lot more background on this version of Noah, but it, it it's good. It's probably a book that I definitely want to come back in and check in a few issues, mm-hmm. which means I might pick it up in single issue format and then just read them in big chunks, or I might put it aside and wait for like the first volume or two to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely the kind of book, like there's a lot, of, especially Vertigo books that I'll like stop by my local library and they'll have like the complete sets, like DMZ, uh, Preacher, um, basically everything Vertigo. And I'll like grab a couple volumes at a time and kind of burn through them. Uh, and I feel much more immersed that way. I feel like this is a book that you might have to be in a certain kind of mood to fully appreciate it. There's a mm-hmm. lot of interesting stuff at play there's you it's a first issue that i think pulls you in it doesn't make you feel doesn't feel lackluster um but it's definitely like just getting started so it's not meaty in that since a lot of stuff is implied but mm-hmm. i mean if you like jason aaron if you like arm guerrera if you liked what they did on scalps you're probably gonna like the goddamned um cool but i mean obviously it's the first issue so it's it's still early yet all right and uh, uh... Sorry, and I'm hopping back to Autumn Lands for a moment here because I saw the the page up. Um, I didn't realize issue seven is just called the Autumn Lands. It's not Autumn Lands Tooth and Claw, and volume one is uh, is called the Autumn Lands Volume One Tooth and Claw. Like that's the subtitle of it. So that's just that's funny because that was the original title of the book. Wait, sorry, what were you saying? Like totally. Like blank. Come on, man. So issue seven of the Autumn Lands is just called Autumn Lands. It's not called Autumn Lands Tooth and Claw. 
because apparently uh, it's, so it's just gone now yet despite it being the original title of the comic is now just the title of volume one and did we ever discuss on the show why they changed it from tooth and claw to autumn lance uh i think we we mentioned it i mean for those who are unaware it is because image already had another book called tooth and claw from the 90s so it was forgettable yeah and so they i guess that's, a, that's avoid... a bad statement there are plenty of memorable things in from the 90s but this was one of those things in the 90s that probably wasn't worth remembering nope and so to avoid confusion with their own property they just changed the name of the most likely much more popular book that will endure for much longer mm-hmm. 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 though i mean i didn't know and i don't say i don't want to say that i'm like the the knower of all but i didn't know that there was a book called tooth and claw um i feel like tooth and claw is a perfect title for the book autumn lands works yeah autumn lands works more now that they've explained it uh, i think they, i mean I, I don't know if they've explained it I, they I'm, did in, in issue, issue seven i'm going into issue five okay did you not hear me explain why it's called autumn lands I mean, I was, like, half paying attention because I didn't want to spoil too much for myself. I mean, it wasn't really a spoiler. I mean, it's, you, Just... already, you already know that magic is running out, right? Yes. That's what happened. All right. Here's what is the explanation. Our world, it, this is Rusty talking. Our world, it was once known as the Summerlands long before my time, before the cities even. Magic was plentiful and miracles abounded. But now we're in the autumn lands, and winter is around the corner. That's why. It's because magic is slowly. Oh, I can't wait failing. for it to become the winter lands. The winter which is lands. actually a pretty cool concept. So uh, I gotta, I gotta catch up on just about everything in my life. Well, um, look, we got other stuff to talk about. Cool. Um, dude, Batman. Let's talk about Batman. Batman. Let's talk about the Batman. Last time Jim we left. Last, last time we left off. Mr. Bloom was attacking a meeting of Gotham's elite. As villains in Gotham are apt to do. Yes. Here it is. If anything, it's like, come on, Mr. Bloom, get your own shtick. Yeah. Stop stop taking from the rich people or Gotham. Uh, and to avoid doing a, you know, kind of a, a play-by-play, because you would have to, because there's so much that happens in this issue. This was a chock full issue. Like, there's a lot of lot of different character stories going on. For example, on. Bruce Wayne has sex. Bruce Implied. Wayne does get action. Uh, it was funny. I read like a little bit from uh, Snyder, and he was like, "He's been on a dry spell for five years in our run. Like, we had to give him something." <laughs> um, I mean, not only does he get it on with, a... I did not expect her to have that many tattoos. Yeah, that's just I one thought, thing. Like I don't. Well, did she had tattoos in Zero Year? I think you saw her arm tattoos. I think, but then now you know that she has like a tattoo along her torso, along the so, side of her torso. Yeah, she has stars, and, stars on her side. She has wings on her upper back. She and has. She's got a tramp. Stamp. She has a heart tramp stamp, and then what looks like an owl. Owl on the leg. Oh, she's court of owls. Oh, I mean her family. Think... Her family's pretty old, right? They've been in Gotham for a long old time. Name. Father has a criminal past. He was probably like excommunicated from the Court of Owls, so they didn't protect him. Ooh, she could be. That that could be the hint. Uh, or like her father could be like the head of the owls. So, 
just brief while we're on the on the Bruce Wayne train. Uh, one big thing that was revealed in this issue for Bruce Wayne was that his girlfriend, well, now fiance, um, though she never actually said yes. Anyway, his girlfriend's father was the one who sold Joe Chill the weapon that killed his parents. Dun, yeah, dun, dun. I mean, like that's it's, not like it's a small thing, but I, it's, it's, it's a small thing. But and I'm not saying that Snyder blows it up. I will say that this book had it wasn't as bad as last issue. It has some of that Snyderism that that you know kind of overzealousness when it comes to explaining things. Uh, some of it was just you know people kind of like you know almost being Shakespearean like to be or not to be. In other cases, it was like you know Duke like talking to himself. Yeah, like, Duke, stop talking to yourself. I get it. You're pouring some kind of hydro hydra. Yeah, okay, I will admit that there was a little bit of, that was a little bit of roundabout extra explanation, when really it could have just been like, oh, he's pouring something on the roof, and we would have been like, cool, he has a chemical that lets him get in. Like, sometimes it's like, cool, just to let, I mean, Snyder is pretty good about just like, and let's say, phenomenal art, tell a story, but this is like a scene where do I have a deeper appreciation for Duke Thomas because he told a story about how his mom used to talk down edgy kids? Not really. I don't feel it didn't. I mean, if anything, it made me appreciate his mom more, but not necessarily. It didn't necessarily do anything for me for Duke, except presumably that story had an impact on Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like given the situation, the fact that most normal people don't talk outside out loud to themselves when they're infiltrating a criminal underworld. Uh, what do you know? Maybe I do it all the time. Okay, maybe they do. I guess I don't know. But, I mean, for the sake of the story and, and my side of the argument, I thought that particular page, was at least that, that exposition, was unnecessary. I will um, I will agree it was excessive. It could have been handled a little better. That was actually probably the only part of the book that made me pause. A little bit of Bruce's, well, the Bruce and Julia speech. Um, but other than that, that, that one Duke page and everything else, I think, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and Duke finds out some heavy information. Yeah, you know, we, but we don't know what it is, right? No, but he finds out who Bloom is. Yeah, but we don't know. It's true, we don't. But it's it's coming, um, and we also find out that uh, Scarface does in fact exist in the New Fifty Two. Scarface. Uh, that's the name Scar- of the puppet, right? No, not Scarface. Why am I calling him Scarface? Oh my God, what's his name? Oh man, uh, Face Puppet Man. <laughs> puppet Batman. Not Puppet Master. Uh, ventriloquist. Ventriloquist. The Ventriloquist. Well, but his, like, the, the dummy has a name. Ventriloquist. Oh, it is Scarface. Interesting. I wonder who came first. I mean, I imagine it was a, a tag team effort. Apparently his creators were both Alan Grant, Gail Simone, Paul Denny, Norm Breifogel, and John Wagner, which doesn't make any sense. And Gail Simone was part of it? No, I, I, I don't know why they're saying it, putting it that way. Why they, they're this thing all the career? It's probably Alan Grant created him, um, hmm. and then I know Paul Denny made the female ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I just happen to look on Google. I'm not going to put too much thought into it. Um, yeah, I'm looking where it just says Alan Grant, John Wagner, and Norm Brayfogel. That makes more sense. I think Gail Simone and Paul Denny was... I think they both used them in the comics. They probably had some version. 
Yeah, somewhere. like I know Paul Dini created the female ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm assuming Gail Simone must have used him or her in like her Batgirl run or yeah. Birds of Prey or something. I guess he has appeared before. He fought against Robin and Nightwing at some point. This is the yeah. first I had seen him. Um, uh, and King so, Shark. But continue. So forget about all the speeches though. The bat bike makes up. So you want you want to talk about the bat bike? You don't, you don't even want to talk about the army of mechs. Of, I'm getting of there. bat mech. Okay, so we'll, just, we'll start starting with the, bi- we'll the start, bat bike. We'll start with the bat bike. It's in a way reminiscent of Kaneda's bike from Akira. Um, I mean, probably there probably is the influence there. It's, it's hard not to be influenced by that bike because it's so freaking cool. It also has um, a little bit of a light cycle from Tron like that front wheel has a bit of light cycle and it, honestly for a split second I was like does Sean Murphy draw this because he's drawn bikes like this oh that the, are... that whole page when he's riding through town like based purely on the color scheme feels very Sean Murphy yeah um, it's just a really cool bike and you gotta think like the robo bat suit is like it's tall you it's know, huge probably, yeah you know, probably 10 feet tall, well, if not a little bit more. And this bike um, is bigger. Like, they, they have it passed by a guy. It's bigger than the average human. Yeah, like, the, the bike, the back wheel probably goes up to, like, the top of the guy's chest. No. You know, so that, that's a big bike rolling down the narrows. Mm-hmm. It's just a cool bike. And it's just, it just makes me appreciate this version of Batman. It's just such a gonzo take. And that's something I'm coming to appreciate more and more, that this isn't, like, a couple of decades ago where they're like, we're going to replace Batman with this. And I don't want to say that it was ill thought out. I'm sure lots of thoughts went into when they made drastic changes with characters, but it doesn't resonate the way. That, oh, I, I guess I can't say, I, I know that like people love Ben Riley, the spider clone, you know, like hey, even, Ben Riley is the true Spider-Man. Okay. But for me, Otto Octavius will always be the true Spider-Man. Ooh, big words, um, big words. Um, so I just I just love like I don't really care what happens I I just like Jim Bat and I want it to last forever. <coughs> uh, but <clears throat> David, take us to the bat suits. So before the bat bike even gets introduced, we are introduced to another idea of the Batman program, which is that every city is going to have their own Batman, not just Gotham, and they're going to have their own suit, which is tailored specifically to the needs of that city um let me let me flip to the page because there was some there was some pretty cool dialogue in there and it's all coming at a time when you know they're, they're trying to decide what to do and of course jerry powers is like we're gonna use all the suits to storm the narrows and find mr bloom and jim's like that, that's obviously what they want you to do it's a trap uh, even though it turns out him going alone was also a trap. Um, but anyway, I really like this line. And yes, we really, uh, yes, we rally people under the symbols they've learned to take faith in, but we reclaim responsibility for ourselves. That's Batman's legacy. And it's kind of an odd panel because you have Jerry Power's floating head and you also have the symbols of Superman, Flash, Aquaman, uh, Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, uh, and and the whole thing there is people rally under the symbols that they've learned to take faith in. But we reclaim responsibility for ourselves. That's Batman's legacy, saying 
these other symbols, these other heroes, those, you know, people put their faith in those because they are more than human. Putting your faith in Batman is putting your faith in humanity is how I'm taking this statement. Such uh, a positive spin. <laughs> it was good, though. I will say that that actually was a really cool approach. It it, it really is like a replay on Batman Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I've, I've heard a few people way. mention that. Uh, you know, for better, for worse. And there's some like really crazy bat suits. Like I really feel like, um, Snyder said to Capullo, like, go watch some like Gundam, like just mech anime for a weekend. Evangelion. Yeah. And then design a bunch of suits and get back to me. Like these things are just crazy. And I really, I really love that. This is sort of the example of DC saying, look guys, just kind of cut loose, go, tell the stories you want to tell, have fun. Like this feels like an, an, like an example of that, um, where you wouldn't have seen all these really crazy bat bunny suits in Batman, you know, at the start of new 52, even before new 52 started, uh, it, it just wouldn't have happened. And it feels just, it, it is a level of fun in what has normally been like a somber book and it still is it is still is a serious book um, and they've managed to work them in fairly well but I just, I just really like that, that they are allowed to do what they want to do mm-hmm. within these stories now here is the million dollar question nick who mm-hmm. who is mr bloom gloom gloom what? uh what the hell did i just do um, Mr. Bloom. So it sounds like he's someone we know. He Or he's connected to someone we know. So he's not Julia's father. Maybe her brother. May, oh, wait, did she mention? She mentioned a brother, right? A brother gets mentioned. His his life is Does ended he... at the Red Hood, at the hands of the Red Hood gang. But what does that mean in Gotham? So that's possible. I mean, he definitely is a, a monster. Yeah. So being a monster runs in the Madison family. Well, I, hopefully not Julia. But. I, I love uh, the face on Mr. Bloom. Like the petals of it were like coming off and made like this really horrifying, like sort of like Predator-esque face when he was trying to threaten Jim. Mm-hmm. Super creepy. Uh, but any thoughts on... Uh, what? Or he could be Jim Jr. Nah, no, it's not Jim Jr. Jim Jr. It's not. It's not just Jim, Jill. Jim Jr. is has shown up in Batgirl, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's had a a, a play in the New Fifty Two. Oh, I don't know. It, it's if it's someone like they're not just going to pull any old DC like old Batman character out of left field. So if he is an existing player or an associate to an existing player. It's connected to someone who's been featured in Snyder and Capullo's run thus oh, far. Oh, absolutely. And this book has apparently is tied a lot to Zero Year, so it's probably best for people to go back and reread that. Uh, I probably won't. I have a hard time rereading things, but um, it sounds like a lot of secrets are there. So Julia's brother is a very likely possibility. I'm leaning towards a connection to Julia because I feel like there's something going on with Julia right now that is not, or that there's like a bigger part for her to play. Mm-hmm. 
than what we've seen so far. And it sounds like like he's he's amplifying the poor, and when he's attacking the party, he only kills socialites and elites. He doesn't like he he threat like he doesn't he basically says to like the working class like commissioner a Sawyer, you know all of them like keep doing what you're doing. Right. He leaves like the priest alone. I just like that he was just randomly killing some folks though. It was just some really great visuals of him walking around the party and like giving his little speech and like stabbing someone in the heart or like really he I think they've done a good job with with this villain. I know not I was reading some people were not fans. They like thought that he was he's been boring so far. But I don't know like something about the last thing where he has a power over the the bat suit and like just the way he was just so casual where before he was very like grandstandy, but he's so casual in the last couple pages. I don't know. I'm very intrigued mm-hmm. by Mr. Bloom. Yeah. He's, he's defying expectations, so to speak. You're, you're right. I, I, I was a little put off by the fact not, not in a bad way, but uh, when he was like much less cavalier at the right, right at the end of the book and that like the, the page right before the last page, um, the panel above where he says you heard him rookie when like the, the 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 spikes or whatever the the teeth are coming out of the flower mm-hmm. um that that is creepy oh that is i didn't even notice that detail so good so good so once again we have a book with just breathtaking greg capula art which now like i'm always like lukewarm when it comes to mark millar like announcing a new book I will probably buy whatever it is if it has Greg Capullo artwork on it. Is has Millar announced a Capullo team? Up? He, he has oh. announced what the name of the book. Oh is right, I forgot. Yeah, about. I forgot they're Just taking. They are going to be on the team. They're together. taking that break for him to go do that. Going to be like a four issue thing. Um, yeah, I'm totally in. So, oh, and so before we jump to American Alien, so one, so I I was scrolling on the news sites as I do. Uh, before I had read the issue, and one of them was like, "Did Bruce Wayne just like spoiler or something?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just get engaged. And obviously, it's because he proposes to Julia. Um, um, but what I what originally originally was running through my head was, does Bruce shoot someone? Because bear with me, like he doesn't have any of the emotional attachment to his parents' murder that the overriding motivation mm-hmm. to be Batman. He's a clean slate. He like knows that he's bruised. He has a, you know, a secondhand from you know uh, history of his own background, except for Batman, of course. But the the sort of driving force that would make him anti-gun isn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hmm. I feel like I don't know who he's going to shoot. Well, but I feel like he's going to shoot someone before I think the story is over. I think it's Batman Annual number three. He has a gun and he talks about that now he talks about how he's not comfortable with guns still oh then i totally missed that yeah um that, that came out already right yeah, yeah it, it did. Did. it's when he's like in his house and there's clayface riddler and i think mr freeze um we never talked about the opening panel actually real briefly is that alfred bearing an axe into the clone machine wait what the first oh. the first panel of this page? Of, of this comic? Of, of this comic. I'm pretty sure it's Alfred burying an axe. Huh. 
which I guess that kind of destroys the theory of Bruce getting his brain, his memories back. Like I, I totally blanked on that first. Panel. I forgot about I it until right I just, the... I just opened it right now. It's, it seems like an odd placement. Like that there would have been a little bit more follow up in this issue, uh-huh, but I guess uh-huh. like they're, they're, they're knocking down all the potential exit strategies for Bruce to become Batman again. And then there's going to be like this left field reason why I guess. Julia is going to get shot. Yeah, Julia becomes the new reason that he's Batman. Eh, I could see them going with that. But hey, let's talk now about a book that for some has been highly anticipated and for others like myself has been cautiously uh, approached. And that is Superman, American Alien number one, a.k.a. Why East of West is Continually Delayed. Nick, what goes on in Superman American Alien? Uh, there are, there is an alien, and he identifies as an American, and uh, that was basically the first issue. Helpful. It is the story of a young Clark Kent, I would say around six or so. I would say older. You'd say he's, he's he's out at the movie theaters, at, at like a, a drive-in, sit-in movie theater. Yeah, I guess. With his friend. So he's probably like ten or eleven. Yeah, but anyway, it is him learning how to fly, and uh, that basically sums it up. That, I mean, that's that's just, that's just the whole point of the story. It's simple. It's it's another retelling of the Superman origin with, you know, with changing the camera focus, changing, you know sprucing it up in a way and it's simple and you know except for some like slight mishaps with dragata drawing drawing faces dragata um, face um it's it's actually a, a beautiful book you no, know i i think you know and I, and I will agree i really enjoyed this approach to a young clark kent um to, to a young you know kent family and them as a unit dealing with this new development because it's there's always been something weird going on with him but this is the newest one and it it really feels like a definitive moment for the family where either okay this is something weird we're not going to talk about it we're just going to hide it away you know like his strength or his glowing eyes at night or we can embrace it mm-hmm. and not make him feel like the freak that he feels like and of course they decide to embrace it and and encourage him to discover whatever it is about him um really great uh, just really great takes on the family dynamic of the kents and i really like uh like there's there's that, that really simple moment where they're at the movie theater and there's you know it's a movie about an alien uh and you know the government comes and takes the alien and that's what Clark feels like is going to happen to him. Like he is an outsider, a freak. And so he breaks a mirror slash a wall. Um, he's talking to his dad later. And I think da- they're watching E.T. Was it E.T.? You're scaring him. You're scaring him. I haven't seen I haven't E.T. Seen in, so in a long time. Yeah. That might but... actually be E.T. I think you might be right. Because there's a boy on the table on the screen. Yeah. And scaring there's... him. Scaring. And I think that was him yelling about E.T. in mm-hmm. the, the, the movie. Oh, yeah, and when, when he's looking at himself in the mirror, he kind of looks like E.T. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, he's talking to his dad, and uh, I couldn't control it. It just happened. That's not why you're in trouble. You can't break things whenever you want. That's something a jerk does. I was mad. I didn't. Well, here's a tip, Clark. When you're mad, don't act like a jerk. That's a very simple moment, and they expand on it more later. But it just felt like a very like informative, telling moment in like in Clark's life with his father, where it's like, here's you know, don't don't yeah 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 you're gonna get angry, but that doesn't mean you have to act out and you know be quote unquote a jerk like control yourself, man. You could destroy somebody with your pinky but nick you 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 rather enjoyed this book from what i can tell why don't you tell us what you liked about it i did it you know it's a book that besides well with with mac land mac max land is this is definitely like a pet project you know it's not tied to any current continuity it's dc giving him you know a bunch of high caliber artists and saying have at it play with superman's origin um you know um, and besides Chronicle, I, I really don't know what any of his other work does. I, I, I don't, did you ever listen, watch his YouTube video where he goes over the death and return of Superman, his own version of it? I have not. It's long, um, but it, it's passionate. So he's mm-hmm. definitely a guy that cares a lot about the Superman mythos, you know, whether or not his approach gels with you. In this particular issue, you, you can tell he's trying to add in a certain edge to the book, but not like in a grim, gritty, you know. Well, uh, not in this issue. At least not in this issue. True, it it could come up. Uh, it's hard because I know future issues are going to have different artists. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like Landis and Dragata actually had a pretty good rhythm going in this issue, and I I would have totally been cool with Dragata sticking around for the full run. Mm-hmm. Um, so it remains to be seen. It my opinion could change issue to issue. As far as the writing goes, Max Landis definitely has a knack for writing comics. He knows how to, you know, work each panel. He knows how to set up the character emotions. Like, I really felt for the, you know, especially for an origin that you more or less know time and time again. You know the macro version of it, how Clark discovers his, you know, develops his powers and becomes a good person and blah, blah, blah. You know, and you've seen little takes on the, the, the small moments in his life. So this is Something that, and maybe in some people's hands, you know, they just kind of yawn and just like, whatever, been there, done that. But I was able to get absorbed into like the little moments, the, the dynamic between Jonathan and Clark. Uh, I like that they're like, we're exploring his powers together. Yeah, and that, that, was just, that was just such a great kind of change of pace from previous tellings of the story where it's, like, oh, you're very special, but there's sort of like a, a hidden shame about it. And like, one day you're going to use your powers, one day, but not not today. And to see this side of it of like, all right, let's 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 see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I was, I didn't like that Max Landis called this the anti-All-Star Superman, which I think was him being a little sensationalist, trying to drum up people talking about it. And I kind of fell for it. Uh, <laughs> now, apparently, Max Landis is very active on Reddit and on a thread about um, about this issue. Uh, oh, I thought it was cute, but kind of cheesy when his red like sweater ripped when he was flying, 
and his blue shirt underneath stayed in one piece, but the sweater started dragging behind him like a cape. I'm like, that's cute. Little cheesy, but cute. Um, anyway, Max Landis on a thread about this storyline said, uh, each issue jumps from one to five years. Thank you. Thank you. I'm crying. Next issue is really violent and kind of creepy. Well, I, I, I don't know how to take that. I think I have a little more faith now after hearing stuff he said and then actually reading the product. I, uh, I don't know why it has to be violent and, and creepy. Just like, just keep telling these kind of stories, these really sweet moments in Superman's life that we haven't gotten. Even like this is even in contrast to, to Man of Steel. And I really liked the parental dynamics in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is totally a, a different take on it that is really nice and really good. I think, you know, it's a book that's going to lean into the drama. We're kind of getting a, a palette. Palette cleanser is probably not the right word. We're getting we're, we're he's giving this this nice small tender moment. The story's gonna get bigger and bigger. And I know like apparently one of like the issue seven or eight is gonna have like one of the most brutal and realistic Superman fights ever. Um, and we're all gonna be like, oh, oh, why didn't you save all the people, Superman? Why are you destroying buildings? <laughs> um, is, is someone gonna show up and be like, I will find him. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so I feel like, and, and I don't know what the next couple issues are going to be like. Too, the next issue is titled Hawk. So I wonder. Well, what this one was Dove. Hawk oh, and it? Dove confirmed. Oh, it was. So this is kind of a sweet. So maybe that it's going to alternate between like sweet and uh, salty. I so I, I mean, like saying that this one Dove, like peaceful, nice Hawk. He's going to be the predator. Because I know he basically said the tagline for the book is this is. This isn't about Clark becoming Superman. This is about Clark becoming not a jerk. <laughs> um, you know, so obviously you have the scene where he goes and he breaks up the bathroom and he comes out and the jerk, the word jerk is right there. Like, just because you're mad doesn't mean you get to be a jerk, which I feel mm-hmm. like there are plenty of people in the world that need to learn that. Um, and I love, I love him saying that to him in that moment because that's a really good thing. Like, obviously he's angry at his kid, but it's just like such a very real thing to say that I think like would, would kind of stick with a kid in that moment. It's like, I remember when my dad was mean or my dad was mad at me and he told me not to be a jerk. Like that sucked. I'm not going to be a jerk. Yeah. You know, it's parents, parents aren't perfect. Um, I, I know a lot of people like to put mom, uh, Kent on like a pedestal and they're like this golden example of like Midwestern, like American exceptionalism, just like the kindest old, old people you'd ever meet. And that all that's instilled into a cookie cutter Boy Scout Superman. But mm-hmm. I like that this is showing parents that a mom pod Kent with, you know, at least in this issue, they don't show a lot, especially Ma, Ma Kent, like, isn't super developed in this issue. You get mm-hmm. a lot more, as is typical between Jonathan and Clark. Um, they, they, they seem complex. You get a deeper feeling for their characters and they're not perfect. And this is definitely a Jonathan that straddles that man of steel, Jonathan Kent and the, the comics proper Jonathan mm-hmm. Kent, where like he has doubts. He's not sure what to think. He's human. I mean, shocker. Um, and he's trying to understand how, I mean, who he's the first person in the world to try and raise a son, a child with Superman powers. Like, Mm-hmm. He's probably he, for get you if you're thinking in realistic terms, that's a pretty crazy job. 
so to speak. So to have to see him kind of like, you know, you're kind of seeing the way his internal inner workings, um, you know, and he ultimately comes out the other side just being like, I can't shame my son. I can't make him feel bad. This is something that he's probably going to live with his entire life and I can help him through it but also be real with him, be straight with him and just be like, you can't like do that shit, son. You mm-hmm. know, I like that. So this is also a, uh, a mock Kent that is on, uh, Zoloft, Vicodin and Prozac. She is that very last like page the like her like wall and desk of stuff, um, which is like uh, yeah. kind of sweet. Like, yeah, she's on Zoloft, Vicodin and That's... Prozac. So she's definitely dealing with a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And of course, you see up in the top of uh, right hand corner, she was pregnant, and they mentioned a car accident. Um, yeah. Where they lost the baby, which I think has. They've mentioned that in previous continuities. Either they couldn't have kids or they had a kid and had a miscarriage. Um, I think it's one of those, like, depends on who's writing it this week sort of yeah. moments. Yeah. Which is interesting if they ever did, like, an Elseworlds or a What If where it was just like, what if the Kents had a child and then Clark still landed, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be interesting. I've always had, like, this idea in my head about, like, the – actually, I'm not going to say it because I don't want anyone to steal it. Oh, just snap. About it. Just forget about it. But uh, I, I think that would be an interesting Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Any other thoughts on American Alien? No, uh, I'm definitely in for the second issue. Yeah, um, I am. I am too. It's you know um, some good comics this week. A lot of other comics that we just can't even get to. I mean, there was another Secret Wars. I haven't read it yet, but I figure we'll check in on that once the book has finally wrapped sometime in 2019. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's just great because we already know how Secret Wars ends, but we still have to read it. Still have to get there. Yeah. Um, Marvel's had some has uh, like the Ultimates, the the new repurposing of the name, uh, featuring characters like Blue Marvel, mm-hmm. Black Panther, Captain Marvel. They're all in it. That's going to be an interesting book to watch. Um, uh, Web Warriors came out from Marvel. Um, and you so... have Spider-Man sitting behind a desk, masturbating. What? There's a there's a meme. Where it's like, everybody's off doing blah, 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 and I'm just sitting here masturbating, and it's Spider-Man sitting behind a desk from the old cartoon. Oh, uh, uh, one of those memes. And and in this issue, uh, like Gwen comes through a window and sitting behind a desk looking very similar is Spider-Man. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, I read that in the preview. I didn't get yeah, the reference. And she asks, wait, what are you doing? And it's a whole reference to, I'm just sitting here masturbating. Is that actually the reference? Is that what they're trying to... I mean, it looks a lot like him behind that desk from the cartoon. Interesting. I mean, they are referencing that cartoon. They're take, they're on that world. Oh. Um, like that, the, the, the world of that cartoon. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> um, they're being pretty uh, they, tongue-in-cheek there. They, they actually, they use that world as, a, as like their training room. Hmm. Because like the laws of physics don't work the same way. So they can like let loose, but it doesn't cause like harmful damage. Huh. Fun. Um, it's interesting how they kind of play with the, how physics are different from reality to reality. Mm-hmm. 
Well, but, you know, it's it's funny that we mention all this because I just got a I just got a visitor here. It's uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And uh, he's actually brought us some news. Wow! And I feel like we're gonna always have to end with something s somewhat related to Spider-Man, just so you can use that. <laughs> we we have to find a way. Like we'll be talking about something completely different, and you'll just be like, but 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 something something Spider-Man and and his amazing friend. Yeah, oh, it's to play it again. Oh, too bad. So lots of uh, Deadpool news that came out today, actually. Last couple of days, yeah, but yeah, one anyway. new one today. All right. Well, the first one is, and this is a terrible title, Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, which really should just be called Deadpool and the Mercs. Sort of the whole point of a mercenary is that they work for money. All right. Well, if... Um... What, it's it's really a play on Heroes for Hire. I know. Um, but do, do you know anything about the first issue of Deadpool that came out like last week? I do not. Should I? Uh, sorry, sorry. I was like, I don't know what just happened. Um, so in the book, uh, at during this eight-month gap between Secret Wars and the new Marvel, Deadpool just got like ridiculously famous. The... Uh, Uncanny Avengers are actually working, operating out of a Deadpool merchandise store huh. um, that, like, it was like a retrofitted old theater or something. Um, he's just like ridiculously famous. Uh, everyone loves Deadpool. It's Deadpool mania, um, and he's cr created this team of mercenaries. He's hired people like Terror Inc. and uh, Stingray and some other guys. And um, they he he calls them the heroes for hire, hmm. and he puts an ad out about it on television. Like we're the heroes for hire, and you see a scene of Luke Cage like flipping his shit <laughs> and calling up Matt Murdock and just being like, like, what can I do about this? Like I want to sue his ass. Um, so that's the first issue. Uh, this is obviously called Deadpool and the Mercs for Money. So I think that Luke Cage makes good on his promise about suing him, and he ends up changing the name yep. or something. I think that plays into this. Mm -hmm. um, um, but well, I, anyway, this is an upcoming yeah. series from uh, Colin Bunn and artist Salva Espin. Uh, the cover for the first issue is done by Declan Shalvey, who, you know, big fan. Uh, also really makes me want a Deadpool book uh, drawn by Declan Shalvey. And written by Warren Ellis. Look, man. Look, I'm not going to chase that dream. I can't, it's, I can't it's, ask for that much. It's too good. It's too good. I, I don't. I don't have enough good karma stored it's up in my life. It's surprising that I don't think Warren Ellis really has any history with Deadpool. I, I don't. Feel like he's a I don't character he would do. Really, I don't see well it being him. a Warren Ellis character. No, like not a Warren Ellis character any more than anyone thought Moon Knight was a Warren Ellis character or yeah, Karnak was yeah, a Warren Ellis character. Yeah, but there's like. I, not to say that I don't think Warren Ellis can't write humor, just doesn't seem like something he would go out of his way to do. Yeah, I'm just I don't know. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. I mean, if you want to go if you want to go with the X Force representation of Deadpool, where it's like the, the humor is there. I mean, I guess that was more him being part of a team, where his jokes were just kind of the irreverent cut through, rather than in his own book where it has to be jokes, mm -hmm. jokes, jokes, jokes. Jokes, boats, boats, boats. Uh, jokes, 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 boats, boats, boats. Um, oh no, that's not, um, that's not good. Hold on, I gotta pause the show for just one second here. Uh, oh, okay, there we go. 
Alright, sorry about that everybody, I just had to clear up some space on the disc, I need to do some backing up. Uh, anyway, I think we were talking about Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, uh, described this way. It is, The Expendables, if Deadpool was in charge instead of Sylvester Stallone, it's Saving Private Ryan, if instead of rescuing a soldier, they were trying to make a metric ton of cash. It's smoking the bandit, but rather than being pursued by Buford T. Justice, our heroes, heroes are harried by the likes of Lord Deathstrike and the Crazy Gang and Taskmaster and Deadpool's sorta undead nemesis, Evil Deadpool. Hmm. Uh, it's basically Colin Bunn being like, I just want to have a good time writing a Deadpool book. So Colin Bunn, love him or hate him, I generally like him. Yeah. Um, but he's had a lot of success, and Marvel apparently has had a lot of success because he's done a lot of like one-off Deadpool miniseries, like Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, Deadpool Illustrated, uh, Deadpool Li- Night of the Living Deadpool, stuff like that. Like he's oh, doing yeah. all those like off-center Deadpool books. Um, and he's just coming off of uh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight, and I don't know, did he do Deadpool versus Thanos? I mean, Cullen Bunn's coming off of everything I, I know he's leaving aquaman um, um and but i mean he's always writing like uh the sixth gun is it over or almost over i think it's still ongoing no it's ending oh tim seeley wrote deadpool versus thanos that makes me kind of want to check that out um I, I don't know i thought i thought it was still going strong um anyway so that we don't bore people to tears. Uh, <laughs> Deadpool and the Mercs for Money is Deadpool and his... It plays it, it plays out of a plot point in the new Deadpool series where while Deadpool is immensely popular, he's got his own little team of, of guys, like all, I think, pre-existing Marvel characters uh, who have to dress up as Daredevil. Uh, not Daredevil, <laughs> Deadpool. And... <laughs> And uh, basically impersonate Deadpool so that he can keep his brand recognition. Though I was looking at the preview art and they all seem to be just out in their normal clothes. Oh. So maybe that's something that... Because they do complain about having to look like Deadpool in the comic. So I guess I, calling it Mercs for Money then makes more sense. Um, I, I could see why they're not wearing costumes. Um, uh, and and just just for the record, June 2016 solicitation for uh, I think issue 50 of Sixth Gun, the War for Creation, the Battle for the Six concludes in this epic triple sized finale. Hmm, interesting. Yep. Anyway, uh, it's been a good long online. I mean, I only finished the first volume, but it's definitely a book I plan to go back to before I die. Yeah, I've got the first. <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it. I have the first two. I read the first volume, and I'm kind of halfway through the second, making my way. Second volume. Um, Other Deadpool news. Uh, The creator of Deadpool is returning to the character with Deadpool Bad Blood by... Now we got bad blood. Oh, I hate you. Anyway, by Rob Liefeld, who's doing the art. I'm not sure... It sounds like he's co-plotting. Right, other people are writing it out. And it's being written by Chris Sims, who uh, writes articles on Comics Alliance, and And Chad Chad Bowers, and I have no idea who he is. Though Chad Bowers and Chris Sims were doing the X-Men 92 Mm -hmm. Infinite comic for Secret Wars. Yes, and you can definitely tell that this is a uh, Rob Liefeld cover by looking at the feet. Because at first you're like, oh, there's not a lot of pouches in. Oh, the feet are terrible. 
if the top half of the body wasn't setting you off, then the bottom of the body will totally like, let you know. It's kind of like it's kind of toned down where you can't tell right away that it's Liefeld. Like the body's not all weirdly disproportionate and overly muscular. Yeah. There's not an excess of pouches. But then you get to the feet and it's like, oh yeah, there it is. Do you think the guy to the left of Deadpool kind of has like an alt Star Lord mask? Do you think that's Star Lord? I don't think it is, but it nah. kind of made me think of Alt Star Lord. You got Shatterstar on there. I don't know who the guy is next to Cable by uh, Deadpool's uh, right foot, and then the other, like, and the woman's Domino. Wait, like that's the, the guy, like the half. The guy with like... the swords is Shatterstar. The right. guy next to Cable, right that that uh, Deadpool's right foot is overshadowing. I don't know who that's supposed to be. I'm sure know. he's. Could look him up in a second, um, and of course, I don't know who the Alt Star Lord mask is. Right, uh, it definitely sounds like Rob Liefeld revisiting X Force. It's, um, it's a story he says that he's been wanting to do for twenty years. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. There's. Uh, he says I can absolutely confirm that there are plenty of characters from my character creation list for Marvel. It's an actual list that are making an appearance as well as a few new ones to round things out. It's a fun romp. romp. Hopefully fans will enjoy the time we've put into it. Now, nobody will deny that Deadpool owes his life to Rob Liefeld, but he owes his staying power to other creators. Where Deadpool was essentially a ripoff. Well, he was essentially a ripoff of of a blank slade. Um, (laughs) The one and only uh, Deathstroke. And then, uh, was it, it was Joe Kelly, right? I want to say Joe Kelly. Who wrote, who wrote the really, like, really big Deadpool run? Joe Kelly did the one yeah. that kind of set the the pace for Deadpool. yeah so yeah like Joe Kelly then like uh, came Fabian in. Nezia who I think is technically considered a co-creator of Deadpool um, did the Cable and Deadpool series in the early two thousands that mm-hmm. was re- that, that was critically acclaimed um, I would say that definitely helped in the revitalization of the character yeah but I would say Joe Kelly's run was definitely what made Deadpool the Deadpool as we know him today. As we know him today, creators Rob Liefeld and Fabi Nezia, and Nezia is writing the uh, the split second miniseries for for the Infinite comic, and it's good. So I mean, cool. great. Um, I mean, I don't know what to expect from this book. I'm not planning on dropping money on a book with Rob Liefeld art. So yeah. all the power to him. I'm surprised because he's really been away from the big two, you know, since he had like the His- very public falling out with DC. Yeah, I feel I, like we're going to see him back at DC at some point, too. Like, he just finds his way back in. Yeah, I wonder... I would be very curious to hear how this kind of played out. If it was like this... I mean, it's been a few years. Maybe two or three since that'll happen. I guess maybe just like two. Or, no, it would be two or three, actually, since it happened. Like, maybe this is just an itch that's been scratching. Maybe Marvel approached him and was like, Hey, do you want to do something? Um... Oh man, whatever happened with his app? I remember he had an app. Oh, uh, the Rob Liefeld app. The Rob Liefeld app. Yeah, I, yeah. I, w- I would just be very curious to hear what uh, what happened behind the scenes to to make this happen. And, and you know, this will sell. There are people who will buy book. Like you won't buy a book because of Liefeld art. There are people who will buy books. They will. 
because of Liefeld art. So, I mean, again, all the power to him. I'm not here to, like, knock yep. anyone or, my or, dog. or go into details. But, you know, uh, Rob Liefeld's just never done it for me. And But, I mean, like, if he can be successful, if the book does well, then, you know, all the power to him. Yep. Apparently, uh, he did pitch it to Marvel. So, I mean, then again, still don't know if they asked him to come in and pitch anything or if he asked to. But, yeah. So, very cool if you're a fan of... Uh, of, well, I want to say if you're a fan of Rob Liefeld, I don't want to say if you're a fan of Deadpool because this could be a book that could go either way on the serious or silly. I have a feeling it's going to be a little more self-serious than it needs to be, but mm-hmm. well, we'll see. If, if it is Chad Bowers and Chris Sims, I guess they, they really play up the 90s, uh, the ridiculousness of the 90s in mm-hmm. their 92 work. Um, so, I mean... I think they'll probably be bringing the humor that if it was just Rob Liefeld left his own devices, probably wouldn't be there. But yeah, true. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they're on the book. They're not just like, look, Liefeld, do it all. Yeah. Well, part, part probably because they're also it's like, like Liefeld. Like, they want this book, like eventually. Because you know, money talks. Marvel, whatever you know, I, I don't. Whatever, especially Marvel might not necessarily care about any bad, <laughs> bad blood. Um, God that uh, Liefeld might have with DC. Um, they know that Liefeld, for whatever reason, sells. They know that Deadpool sells. They know that they can market the crap out of Liefeld on Deadpool. So, I mean, they're not above looking past maybe personal discretions of a person. Uh, and I'm saying this really having no real knowledge of Liefeld. Um, but obviously, it's that kind of thing where we don't, for, for structural integrity, we really don't want to leave you to your own devices. So, uh, we'll let so to speak, we will let you do this, but uh, we want you to take these guys with you, and they're going to keep an eye on you. Yeah, it might it might also be kind of the uh, the Frank Miller thing of, like, it could take you a while to get this book out, so yeah. we're going to this, give this book you, needs to come out. Right, we're going to give you a team to help you get it done. Yeah, which within the I year. still wish, and maybe some some fan will do it. Uh, that. Dark Knight 3 was colored similar to Dark Knight Returns instead of having like a modern coloring look. I just feel like that's a missed opportunity there, but that's not what we're talking is about. Is it? I don't know. Is I mean, it? yes, on one hand, like I'm not, the book's still going to look good, but I think for aesthetic purposes, you're already, it's already not being drawn by Frank Miller. And by that, I mean Frank Miller and his Dark Knight Returns Prime. Um, mm-hmm. And. You know, Andy Cooper's doing his darndest to to mimic that that Frank Miller flavor. But then you have the art, the the color, I should say. And Frank Miller, you either think Dark Knight Returns, Year Batman Year One, or Sin City. Sin City being mostly black and white and very blocky. Uh, uh, I don't remember who colored Year One. Um, it's different. It's also actually I shouldn't even say it. Dave David Mazzucchelli drew Year One, so that doesn't even count. Um, right. So you either think Dark Knight Returns or Sin City. In mm-hmm. that case, it's not going to be black and white. Though I think the book would have done pretty well in black and white. They should have stuck with a color palette closer to Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. But that's just my thing. Well, very cool. Also, in the news, we don't really talk about uh, talk about The Walking Dead very much on this show. Mostly because I am many issues behind and I don't really... many episodes behind. Yes. But rather big casting news 
is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan has been cast as Negan on The Walking Dead TV show. Now, you might be asking yourself, who's Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and why does he sound like he's trying to sell me a breakfast sausage? Oh my god, I want a breakfast sausage. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, known for his roles as the comedian in The Watchmen and uh, John Winchester on Supernatural. He's a guy who's been around the block. He was also on ER. I don't know. Uh, he no, no, Grey's Anatomy. Was he was the like husband on Weeds, briefly. Um, he was on and... Grey's Anatomy. Oh, and he will that? be Thomas Wayne in Batman v Superman. Oh, yes, yes. So he's a man with a <laughs> actually a pretty good career under his belt. Especially uh, as it pertains to comics. But he's never, as far as I know, I mean, the comedian's sort of an anti-hero. But I don't think I've ever seen him in a strictly villainous role, and Negan is strictly villainous. villainous. Yeah, I read to the introduction of Negan, his first appearance in issue 100 of The Walking Dead, where somebody gets beat to death with a baseball bat by Negan. So he's not a nice guy, in the slightest. And I'm really excited to see him in this role, mostly because I just really enjoy him as an actor. And uh, I think that uh, the show, I don't know, the show needs somebody to come in and start like chewing on the scenery, just having fun in the role because everybody's so self-serious. Um, oh, and the season six finale, so it's still going to be a while. Uh, oh, but he is the leader of the savior. Sorry, I I didn't really read this article until right now. I'm just kind of uh, kind of just quickly scanning through it. Um, it just needs somebody kind of having fun in the space and not just being somber and, and whispering really intensely all the time or yelling just constantly like they're drawn by Dragota. Um, Nick, what, what, where are you in the show anyway? Um, I'm still in season three, like halfway through. Um, and in the comics, I'm actually roughly around the same time period with, like, yeah. in the middle of the governor story. So, you, wait, the governor happens fairly early in the comics compared to Negan. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, okay, you're saying you're, like, lining up. I'm gotcha. somewhere between issue one and issue 50, probably. Gotcha. Uh, so you're like closer you're, to 50. You course. haven't even gotten to the part where they find the helicarrier yet. The what? The weirdest no. crossover. <laughs> Shield meets the Walking Dead. Marvel Zombies versus the Walking Dead. The the Walking Shield. The Walking Shield. <laughs> but very um, well, good for Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Good for the show. I think he'll be a good addition. Agreed. Um. Uh. What is it, Nick? So in other news, yeah, Ani Press, a small uh, print publisher, uh, notable oh. for isn't say it, Scott Pilgrim. Is it Oni? Heard of that? What Oni? Whatever, David. Shut up. Are they also um, known for the Sixth Oni, Gun? Oni, yeah, also known for the Sixth Gun, which has been in development hell as far as TV shows are concerned. Yeah, made it to the um, pilot stage in 2013. Oh yeah, they actually made a pilot and it didn't go anywhere. I really wish I could see the pilot. Um. So they apparently they had a film division called Closed on Mondays, which they have dropped. I don't know if drop means like they're still a Closed on Mondays, but they're doing their own gig, 
or they've just retitled it as Oni Entertainment. But yeah, it let's... looks like Oni Entertainment uh, Press is going to go whole hog into TV development or yep. TV and entertainment development. Let's let's be honest. Uh, Closed on Mondays is a terrible name for a production company. And also the fact that if you want to bolster the Oni brand, keeping it all the same name will probably help. Because mm-hmm. people people would be likely to like Google Oni Entertainment, and they're going to see oh, it's connected to Oni Press. Yeah, which exactly. has all like this neat DC, stuff. you know, Marvel. It's Marvel Comics. It's Marvel Studios. It's Marvel TV. DC. It's DC Comics. It's DC Entertainment. It's DC Film. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. You yeah. gotta keep that brand recognition there. Yeah, so they and so, they they have a lot of uh, stuff in their catalog that would definitely uh, they could use for television purposes. I mean, Sixth Gun being kind of prime example. Um, I forgot they're doing Invader Zim, but I don't think we're gonna get Invader Zim back at any point. Uh, Hopeless Savages is also something that ran for a few years. Uh, Looking through here, Hicks, I think oh, I don't remember. Um, Lost at sea. I mean, they also oh, local by Brian. I guess there's a limit. I mean, I mean, these are also possibilities for movies. Yeah, we'll we'll see what comes of it. I mean, comics will be endlessly mined for any TV and film adaption people can find, whether they even realize it's a comic adaption. Nocturnals. Which so it looks like Closing Mondays will still exist. That. Uh, Oni Press, which is based in Portland, and closed on Mondays, which is based in Los Angeles, led to creative differences, uh, prompting a split. Um, so there will be still some involvement because they've obviously had some TV and film projects in development already. Um, but under the Oni Entertainment, they will continue to produce more works based off of Oni Press mm-hmm. comics. Um, let's see. Publishers Weekly reveals their top five graphic novels for 2015. Just uh, like the do people Oscars. put a lot of stock in Publishers Weekly. Like, no, I mean I've it's never well, really like been like, oh, Publishers Weekly. No, it's just cool to start seeing because people are going to start unveiling their lists of you know best of the year sort of stuff around now. And it's just fun to see, and of course, it's all super indie stuff that I have never heard of or read. So you have The Oven by Sophie Goldstein. Uh, you have March Book Two by John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and Nate Powell. You have The Arab of the Future by Riyadh Satouf. Um, I apologize if I mispronounce that terribly. And uh, Super Mutant Magic Academy by Jillian Tamaki and Tamaki. Tamaki and Killing and Dying by Adrian Toman. Now I'm gonna put my hipster hat on. I like. Adrian Toman or Tomine, whatever. I always said Tomine in my head, but I always yeah, get stuff wrong. Um, I've read some of, like, he's had some, like, collections of his short stories. He had this great uh, slice of life thing about an Asian, like, he's, uh, I believe, Asian. Um, uh, he had a great thing that, uh, sto- uh, I don't even call it graphic novel. I think it was a collection of books from his, like, quarterly uh, anthology series. Um, but it was about an Asian man who. I think he has an Asian girlfriend or he didn't have a girlfriend and he wants like he wants to date white girls but Asian like guy like he basically this whole thing about how like Asian girls can get white guys but Asian guys can't get white girls or struggle with it at least uh, and it oh, kind of like is surrounds like this character's frustration what? Right, continue 
Uh, anyway, it was just a good book. So I will definitely check out Killing and Dying now that yeah. I'm aware that it exists. And Jillian Tamaki is, I'm trying to think, she totally did a book that was getting some press on some of the sites I follow. And I'm, it may have been a book about lesbians. I don't <laughs> remember. Um, but it's okay, Super Mutant Magic Academy. So this is something that is totally playing on um, Harry Potter, X-Men, Vampire Academy type tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that like tells me nothing besides the, the reference. Um, so it remains to be seen. Um, but I guess like she's definitely got a lot of good buzz. I'll probably check out those two. I know I have not heard of... What was the first one? Uh, the Oven, I have not heard of that. And yeah. I have not heard of The Arab and the Future. March... I know this is book two. I know that John Lewis did a March book one. I've read neither. So I might get to it someday. Yeah, I mean, it was also kind of cool to come across this list because this is stuff that I definitely wouldn't normally know about. And it made me kind of be like, oh, I should I should maybe check a couple of these out. Like, some of these seem really interesting. As well-versed as I feel like I am in indie stuff, if I really look at it, like most of the indie stuff still is is genre indie. Yeah. It's not a lot of uh like nonfiction or even like um like sort of slice of life stuff. Yeah, it's I mean this is like kinda like between mainstream and underground. Image, like especially at this point, image is is independent in the sense that it's not made by Marvel or right. DC. They're... But it's really on the up and up, and it's really the difference between like watching say, a CSI marathon, a.k.a. Marvel or DC, and watching, like, um, like a high-production genre show, you know, well, on, say, like, HBO or Showtime. You, you kind of get the vibe I'm saying? Right, Between right. just, like, I, mean, I don't want to say that the books that Marvel and DC put out are, like, kind of mindless consumption. Well, see, I, 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 would say like, I would say, like, Marvel and DC are the big, like, summer blockbusters where, like, Image is going to be the smaller, like, indie films... But it's still starring like Brad Pitt, and you're still getting like really like big name directors on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, or like that's the, probably a better analogy. Or like this is where like big name direct like people start. You know, like um, Colin Trevorrow is going to start there, and then he goes on to do Jurassic World, and then you know like then then they kind of use that as a boost to get into the big leagues. But they're always going to come back and do the smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. Image is like the retirement home. For the big the, the big names at Marvel and DC, I think I, I would view it more as a vacation home vacation in some ways home. because I mean yeah they might eventually retire there but it's not always when like that's where they're going to go at the end it's they might just be like oh hey you know what I need to go do something just for me I need to take time just for me yeah so I'm gonna go. I mean who is to say that some like Ed Brubaker or Matt Fraction I'm thinking those two names in particular. Um, won't do something for Marvel or DC again. They seem to be pretty gung-ho about just kind of sticking to their own things. They're fortunate enough to, to just be doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Matt Fraction also has all that stuff um, with his wife that they're like developing for TV. Yeah, and I mean, they, they've really kind of built a little empire for themselves, which... They have. I mean, I mean good for them. Not uh, Most people aren't that lucky. But I mean, I, I I I could see both of them at some day doing even like a you know almost like I think Warren Ellis is going to be kind of like a trendsetter where 
he does like one project for Marvel a year. It's usually like a six issue run, and then he leaves. And like they just find something juicy to hook him back in. So I could see, and he was kind of gone for a while. Like you really didn't see him for two or three years, or, or I want to say like after Thunderbolts I, or something. I think he kind of vanished for a bit. I think. Uh-huh. Uh... I might be missing a book in between. I'm I'm really excited when they finally are like, hey, Dan Slott, you're going to take six months off. We're going to bring Warren Ellis in here. He's going <laughs> to write a horrifically violent Spider-Man story. Dan Slott would probably cry. <laughs> like, what would he do for six um, months? But, yeah, I don't know. So I could see Marvel just being like, like, Ed Brubaker, like, you know, here's, you know, just come and do, like, six issues of, like, a Winter Soldier, or you've always wanted to write Spider-Man, here's a six-issue, you know, pitch us your, your, your best six-issue Spider-Man story. Right. Um, or Matt Fraction, I don't know what the heck he is. I think he's a lot more I, I, hipstery than, than Ed Brubaker. Like, I think he's... Matt Fraction, above all, I think is content to, like, get out from under those characters. Though, I, I'm not going to argue and say that, like, he has a disdain for them or even has a disdain for the big two. I think that he's not, he's not Garth Ennis. No, to, to discredit. I mean, even Garth Ennis comes in and plays in the Marvel and DC sandbox. Yeah. Every once in a while. Well, and I, and I think, I mean, it's, you know, these are people who love superhero books and I think it is fun for them to get to do them. Like obviously it's, it's more fun and more freeing for them to go tell whatever story pops into their head and not be in these limitations. But yeah. I think for a lot of them, it's also just really fun every once in a while. Like, man, I get to go, you know, I get to go play with Batman. I get to go, you know, play with Squirrel Girl for a little while. Like, you know, just... And I think that that says something. Whereas, like, um, Transmetropolitan, Scalps, uh, whatever book map fractions are working on. the, the Sex Criminals. Sex Criminals. Like, these are books that, like, you don't just like go and play in their sandbox, and that's and it is something where we can't all just be Bendis. Bendis is a guy that's clearly like entrenched at Marvel. He's not going anywhere. His name is still on is still up there in the stars, but he finds and, and they're always late. It seems like, but he's he still puts out creator owned products on the side without relinquishing his you know his reign at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some of these guys like. They, you know, they they are working on comp books. Like they have all these like original ideas, all these ideas that they want to do for themselves. But you know, they're getting a little bit of buzz and getting in the door at Marvel or DC. On one hand, like they probably got into comics because of these superheroes, and mm-hmm. and they have that nostalgic itch and they scratch it and they tell these prolific Invincible Iron Man runs, Captain America runs, um, Fantastic Four and Avengers and all that. And then like they they some of them you know, they reach that point where they realize that itch has been scratched. And this is a character that, you know, I'm still working at the company and in like the two years since I left book X, like my stamp on it is like already in the wind. Yeah. Whereas like I can go over here and launch my sex criminals, my, the fade out. I can, I can go my, do, I can go do saga. For, East to West saga and all that. Till and this is time. eternal. This is something that from beginning to the very end is my book. And because literally Brian K. Vaughn will be writing saga until the day he dies. Until the day he dies. So, I mean, like, that's, I think that's a big thing. I think that's a driving force, especially now that creator owned books are lucrative, quote unquote. 
especially if you can land like a TV or film deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's drawing a lot of people's attention. In the last few years is where we've really seen this shift where like Marvel and DC have lost, quote unquote, lost big names to independent publishers like I mean, Image. Yeah, but I mean, you still have Bendis, you still have Morrison coming in to do stories for DC, you still have Snyder. It, yeah, I mean, Morrison, unless he gets some kind of revitalization, I think, but beyond. Um, Multiversity Wonder 2. Woman, Earth One, and the Multiversity books. Like I, mean, I think he's done playing, and I don't think he has a lot well, of interest well, but, playing with the New Fifty Two. No, but he's. I mean, he's set himself up where it's like if I want to go tell a you know a superhero story, I can just go do it in Multiversity Two. And, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Good. DC will never say no. No, I mean. <laughs> And we're thankful for that. Well, Marvel wouldn't say no if Morrison came over all of a sudden and was like, I've got a great idea for a Doom book. Because you know he would write Doom. Mm-hmm. And now I want that more than anything. Grant Morrison, Is... Dr. Doom book? Yes. Oh, it'd be so trippy. Just a great... He has done Fantastic Four. He did like a short Fantastic Four miniseries way, way, way back when. I don't know how much Dr. Doom featured in it. Um, and I think it had artwork by Jay Lee. So it's probably Neat. pretty good. Yeah, um, probably. I'd read that. But uh, I think it was called Fantastic Four One Two Three Four, if I <laughs> correctly. Nice. Um, but yeah, no. Grant Morrison back on any kind of Marvel property would be excellent. I, and I think I think that will eventually happen. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I guess he's doing uh, the the editing thing over at Heavy Metal right now. Yeah, he's got his independent work. He's got Multiversity too. He's, he's got. He's a busy guy. He's got, you know, he's got stuff. Like, he's not hurting. Nope. Nope. And we are all the better for it. I don't remember how we got on this train of thought, but good times. Great old days. Good stuff. That's all really going on for the news. Yeah. Yeah, no, we can can wrap things up here. We can do some quick recommendations and then get on out. Get on out. So Nick, I don't know where I was going with that. What are you gonna recommend? I am going to recommend. Uh, what are you recommending, David? <laughs> so lame. So I was going to, I was gonna do this after I'd gotten these books, but I'm still gonna do it now because I you know, want to support my friends who are creators. I want to make sure that I have the website correct. Um, SpectreIsland.BigCartel.com Yeah, okay. So, uh, I know this guy, Dave Baker, who is a writer, and he's got two graphic novels currently out. One is Suicide Forest. Well, it's him and this uh, and this girl, Nicole Go. Imagine how that's pronounced. G-O-U-X. Um, Suicide Forest and then F-Off Squad. It, it, obviously, it says the word instead of F-Off, but we're family-friendly here. So Suicide Forest and F-Off Squad are currently out by them. Um, people oh, re- yeah. yeah, people are really big fans. You can uh, find them in like the L.A. area. They're, they're at around a couple shops. Um, but... If you also want to head over to specterisland.bigcartel.com, you can buy both of those plus some other stuff um, by them, smaller little things they've done. I'm very excited to read them. Uh, I 
you know, I had a dream that I was at a, the Suicide Forest like movie premiere the other night. I was like, oh crap, I should probably actually read that book because I told him I would forever ago. But people should go and support the super, super indie creators and these, this is a good way of doing that. So spectreisland.bigcartel.com, buy some stuff there. Nick. Cool. Have I recommended Ecstatic by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred? I don't know, maybe, but... I don't not? think so. So I'm going to do it. Ecstatic. Um, I'm only saying this because I've kind of like gone back and perused my giant omnibus version of it. Actually started as a reinvention of X-Force. Hmm. This is one of those early attempts. This is around the Marvel revitalization of like 2000, 2001, um, where they took the X-Force name, took the general conceit, and then turned it on its head, so to speak. So this X-Force was actually like a reality TV show team of mutants hmm. who were insanely popular um, but were sent out into actual war zones. Like either they ended up in some, you know, tyrant whatever country, uh, totalitarian country, and members of this team died all the time. Just every issue, like someone probably died. Um so it was definitely, you know, it was riffing on reality TV. It got to the point where it was playing up, like, the notions of celebrities and all that, that they actually tried to get Princess Diana to... Okay, she was already she had already passed away. They were going to feature a character who was going to be Princess Diana. The Princess Diana. And then uh, at the last minute, Marvel was like, mm, mm, no. We, we and have they our replaced limits. her with some other character. Um, that basically looks just like her, but they gave her a different name. Princess Shmishmana. Shmoshmana. Shmoshmana. Um, uh, and the book is just, it's ridiculous. These are definitely like the, some of the freakier mutants you'll see, but with Mike Allred's style, like they're all just, they're more quirky. Uh, I mean, you've got team names like Mr. Sensitive, um, uh, El Guapo, um, Venus de Milo, uh, you go girl. Um, one of the, 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 the first leader of the team who ends up dying at some point, like his power was to like vomit stuff. Okay. I mean, like this was like, if Marvel was like, let's make a whole team comprised of the quality of character of maggot, uh, a hey, maggot, long forgotten X-Men character. Maggot is well loved. Uh, and, and then just like kill him off every issue. So, there's a lot to love about this book. If you like explorations of reality versus, you know, real, like, actual reality and then what we try to project as reality, you know, the nature of celebrities, um, the real world crashing into our, our sort of projections of fantasies, it's a quirky book. It's a, real, a well-written book, uh, and I didn't actually get to that point. The, at some point, there was a reason, there was like a... a, a a behind-the-scenes reason that they had to change the team name from X-Force. And I don't remember if it was that at, at some point Marvel was like, we want to repurpose the X-Force, or re-repurpose the X-Force name back to, like, kind of like the original team. Like, I think it actually involved Rob Liefeld coming back to tell an X-Force miniseries. Hmm. So they had this whole in-store reason where the team got sued for using X-Force, that it was actually, like, a copyrighted name or something. So they end the series, and then they relaunch it with X-Stacks number one, and they are the X-Statics. 
and uh, that's what I recommend. Ecstatics, uh, you can honestly like. Uh, there was a, a little while back, Marvel had like, like offered like super heavy discounts on a lot of like their hardback uh, editions of books. So mm-hmm. I know like Newbury Comics, which is New England based. Uh, I think mostly New England based. They might have shops elsewhere, but like they jumped on that. So I actually got it at Newbury Comics for like fifty bucks when it's normally like a hundred something dollars. Hmm. Uh, that's all. That's the full omnibus. Um, so I mean, I imagine a lot of other comic shops jumped on that too. Whether or not they're selling it for a discounted rate, I don't know. But if you can get a good deal on the omnibus, check it out. It'll also probably break your arms if you hold it for too long. <laughs> well, very cool. People go and check those things out. That is going to do it for the show and for us. If you want to find out more about the show, you can head on over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can email us with your thoughts, your recommendations, uh, anything you want to send us, uh, except for spam, to heckyeah. And severed limbs. Yeah, well, it'd be pretty hard to send that in an email. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> you right. know, you know, we've we've recommended a, a lot of stuff uh, over over the year plus, you know, year and a half we've been doing this. I really, I'd really like to hear from anybody who maybe has taken any of our recommendations and uh, and what you thought. Or yeah, so if you if you've read anything we've recommended, we'd love to hear from you. Plus, any other thoughts you want to share, send those to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can uh, find Nick with two broken arms from holding an omnibus for way too long. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.